Let's start the show by talking about my sponsor, Paloma Verde, and their new website, PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out for all of your CBD needs. They've got the gummies, tinctures, the salves. So if you're needing anything to maybe chill you out, something to help you get mellowed out, something for your joint pain and stiffness, go over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and give them a check out. Carlos and Vanessa are awesome people. They run a great company. And if you enter the promo code FACTS at checkout, you'll get 25% off your order. Plus, any order over $75, you get free shipping. So, I don't know what you're waiting for. Head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check them out. Let's start the show. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This Podcast. Fact check this podcast, and today I'm going to look at an article from The Atlantic. I, the Atlantic is horrible leftist trash for the most part, but they also have some decent opinion pieces and some other stuff. Um, and plus, I enjoy looking at The Atlantic because a lot of times they'll say the quiet parts out loud and admit to things that <laughs> the mainstream media aren't really supposed to admit to, uh, which is entertaining for me. And so uh, it's it's not a horrible publication and it's five bucks a month for a subscription. So it's not like it's super expensive either. And, and like I said, they do have some good articles that uh, some of their, like the piece I'm going to look at today is non-political. It just kind of looks at the workplace. Uh, so I'm going to pull this article up and for those who are watching or, and you can follow along with me uh, and for those who aren't, I'm going to go through it uh, pretty, pretty thoroughly anyway. But it's an article entitled The Parasitic Workplace. Uh, and when I saw the headline, so the headline obviously doesn't have the, the, sub, the sub headline with uh, two recent novels depict modern label as a hallucinogenic hall of mirrors. So obviously when I saw The Parasitic Workplace, I was thinking, oh man, I've worked in some pretty like bad jobs and stuff like that and been in in workplaces that are are pretty rough so i was expecting something along those lines and and that's not at all what this is it's kind of a a review a, a short uh review of a couple different books uh so so the books that it looks at are uh the employees by olga raven and the factory by hiroko Oya, uh, oyamata Sorry if I mispronounced either one of those names. Um, but after looking at the article, kind of reading through it, I, I looked at some excerpts and blurbs from those two books. And so we're gonna kind of we're gonna kind of take it from there. It's an interesting article, the way the two books portray work in uh in their different settings is interesting. And then I'm going, so I'm going to kind of briefly go through the article and those books. And then I'm going to kind of talk about uh, what I see from it and, and just personal experience and stuff like that. So uh, I'm going to hit the, the first paragraph and then from there, I'm just going to kind of jump around. So according to a lushly animated Chobani ad from last year, the future of work is agrarian and cutting edge, folksy and modern. WWOF meets Wakanda, perhaps. The commercial pictures a uh, 
world in which farming retains a familial salt of the earth vibe, despite the existence of robots so prehensile they can pick fruit. A business is only as good as its people. A farmer narrates as, get, as workers gather around a peculiar spread of bread, tomato soup, and a heaping bowl of yogurt, and a drone drops off a carton of oat milk. The ad may be set on our future farm and designed to peddle dairy products, but its pastoral setting and utopian veneer riff on the pitches of many companies seeking to present a change to the workplace, uh, a change to workplace scenery as an upgrade in quality of life. Now, we're going to get in these two books that they talk about in the article, and neither of those books portray this uh, different work quality of life in any stretch of the imagination. So we're going to kind of start with the uh, with the employees and the way the employees kind of pictures work is it's set in a spaceship. So like the thing that and. I'll talk about it when I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going there just yet. So it's set in a spaceship and it, it focuses around interviews with the employees of the spaceship who is, it's orbiting this new planet and they have varying different jobs on the ship. Um, and it really kind of makes the entire thing out as the reason that they're doing these jobs is to do the jobs there's uh a lot of bureaucracy around what goes on on the ship none of them really have a lot of purpose they just work because they work and it's very unfulfilling it's very just uh as uh, i like this this line here life on ships or on the 6000 ship which is the spaceship that this is that the employees is focused around. The life on the 6,000 ship affects every employee differently, but robot and human alike, both uh, sound both unhinged and detached, both from their work and from themselves. So like everything about this portrayal of the work life experience kind of boils everything down to like, they're just drifting about in this like state of weird existence where they do things and there are uh, there are like rewards to it, but it's everything's kind of fleeting, and none of them really have a a serious engagement with it. Well, then uh, we kind of move into the second book, which is uh, the factory, and and for the factory, like the factory is this all encompassing huge like thing that just it's always growing and changing and the people who work there, uh, they have very specific jobs and, and they have very specific things that they do. Um, but it's all part of this like ever evolving, ever growing, ever expanding thing that is the factory itself. Like the factory is all consuming and all, all encompassing. And so everything they do is based on like the job that they're doing. And, uh, and so like, these are the two portrayals of, of work life that 
that they're kind of talking about in in this article and in these two these two books in particular. And and I didn't want this to be particularly long, so I'm going to kind of cut away from the article and and more of the details uh, of the books themselves. And honestly, I will probably look into and even read the factory. I don't see, I don't see having a lot of interest in the employees, even though it's set in a spaceship, which would typically be right up my alley as much as I like Dune and, and uh, anything Isaac Asimov or Starship Troopers and Robert Heinlein stuff. Like I typically love that kind of stuff, but the employees, uh, the premise of the book is based off of like what was supposed to be short stories focused around uh, art pieces. And then it became like this book, the premise and just the, uh, from what I've gathered and seen from excerpts and stuff, the writing style isn't really my, uh, my cup of tea. And I don't know if other people get that. So I'm going to, I'm going to nerd out and do some booky kind of stuff for a second, but like, I really, really liked the Dexter series. Um, not this most recent season that was that had so much promise for the first like two episodes, and then just went completely off the fucking rails and was horrible. But well, like the 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 original Showtime Dexter series was fantastic. So I, I thought like, and it's based on a book, uh, actually a series of books. So I thought you know I'll check this out, see you know see what it's like. The the writing style that the guy who wrote the the Dexter books used was horrible. Like I, I couldn't I couldn't read it. Yeah, it it was literally unreadable. Like I, I got a few pages in and I was like I, I can't do this. There's there's just no there's no way I can read this entire thing the way it's written. And maybe that's a you know a personal thing and. Uh, but like I've, I've also talked to other people who kind of felt the same way about it. So like, like I said, the, the, the employees looking at it um, and from some excerpts and stuff, like it just doesn't look like something that I'm going to be particularly interested in. The factory does seem interesting and I'll probably at the very least, I'll look more closely at it, if not actually get it and, and read the whole thing. Um, but like one of the things that I kind of take issue with in both of these is the fact that, and maybe this is maybe this is like the disconnect that I have that that I can't wrap my head around is that um, the future of work cannot be like a 100% all encompassing like everything is work because that's kind of what this makes it out to be is that like there is no work-life balance. Work is life. Like the factory is all encompassing and all consuming. And like you, it has cafeterias and restaurants and all of these things. And like for the, the employees, the ship is, is life. Like they live on the ship. And so that's all they do is, is the ship. I, I just, I have to, I have an issue with, with that. There has to be work-life balance so like i was saying at the beginning i've worked in some bad workplaces but i've never had one that that 
felt like what these two books feel like, right? Because in these, like, the job is all encompassing and, and there's just not a lot of positivity. Like, uh, the fact, or yeah, the factory, like, they have some humorous things with, uh, with the way some, like, rambunctious or what are they? They refer to him as a, a renegade employee and creep. Um, and like this middle manager who's some like mysterious figure that nobody knows what he does. Like there's there's some lightness and humor to it, but it's, it's all kind of uh, overwhelming or overbearing the factory itself and this work life or this this work life, not work slash life, but this work life. Uh, and it's it's really the same way for the employees. Like there are some humorous moments and stuff like that but generally speaking like it's really kind of overbearing and and not uh not very pleasant and and like like i said i've, I've had bad jobs i've had experiences that i didn't particularly care for i had, I had things that and see this is this is where i always get kind of uh maybe defensive. I don't think defensive is the right word in this situation, but like people complain about jobs all the time. I complain about my job all the time. <laughs> I actually really enjoy my job. I, all we do is ship out liquor and are we like making some massive contribution to society? Hell fucking no. It's, if anything, it's the complete opposite, but <laughs> I enjoy what I do. Like I, I have fun with it. I enjoy the people that I work with, the people who work for me. Um, like I like my job. It was the same in the one that I just came from before I came to this one. It was very similar when I worked for Lowe's. I enjoyed what I did. Were there things that I absolutely hated about working retail? Sure. Was it a great job or a perfect job? No, absolutely not. But I enjoyed it. I had fun with my coworkers. I enjoyed interacting with some of the customers at times. Like, it was a fine job. The one that I had before that, the one that I lost because of COVID. Uh, if you asked me on the right day, I absolutely hated everything about it. But at the same time, I absolutely loved it because I got to have a major impact in the company and doing things the way that we did things. Um, like, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a job that, while I've had bad jobs, I've never had one that I didn't like, that I didn't get something out of, that I didn't like have some positive takeaway from. And that's something that I always kind of have a, uh, a problem with with people who like constantly complain about their job like if you have a job that's like one of these that are described in these books where it's like some all-encompassing overbearing thing that is constantly weighing you down there is no shortage i mean supposedly joe biden's created six million jobs so there's no shortage at all and there are places that will be more than happy to have you come do something where you just stick around for eight hours a day for 14 hours a day 
or fourteen dollars an hour. <laughs> is that great money? No. Is it something to do? Yeah. Are you changing the world in that? No. But every job shouldn't be changing the world, and every job shouldn't be whatever this like Chobani Farms bullshit is. Like that's that is not a picture of a farm life that I want anything to do with either. Like as somebody who was raised on a farm and kind of does, you know, small farming type stuff here at home with our, our goats and chickens and gardens and stuff like that. Like it's not something I have any interest in. I don't, I don't want drones and uh, stuff like that. I just want to, I just want to do it. So if the future of work is something where there is no work-life balance. It's all just a work-life. Then people need to get away from cities and jobs like that and get further out into the country and become independent of that shit. Uh, like, like for every job that I've had, no matter how bad it was, you have to have this work-life balance. And like for me in my current job, I work four days and I'm off four days. And on the four days that I'm off, I don't know where my laptop is right now. I think it's in my truck. And see, that's <laughs> like, that's the thing is for the four days that I'm off, I don't know where my laptop is. I'll go find it on Wednesday morning sometime before I have to go to work Wednesday evening. Normally, I just leave it in my truck. Uh, you know, unless we're like taking a family trip or doing something or whatever. And when I clock out at the end of my last shift, I'm off work and I don't think about it again until I go back. And, and like you talk to people who, what's like, what's really tragic is you'll talk to people who are like nine to five, 15, $18 an hour people. And they think about it all the time and they dread it all the time. And you have to have some level of balance. You can't just live in this constant state of dread of a thing that you, that you have control over. That'll be it for today's episode. I will be back tomorrow night with a live stream. I've got my, my good friend Magoo is rejoining me for a Tuesday night live stream. And hopefully we can keep him on track since the topic for this live stream is actually one that he presented to me. So we're going to be talking about the death of the internet and uh, it'll be me and Magoo as well as Jose of No Way Jose and Tyler Yankee of the Libertarian Podcast Review. So tune in tomorrow evening at 7.30 Central, 8.30 Eastern while we do a live stream and discuss the death of the internet. In the meantime, I hope everybody has a great rest of your day and tomorrow and tune in to see us Tuesday night. And if you missed Tuesday night's show, it'll be up Wednesday morning so you can catch it then too. Thanks and have a great one.